Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the M121 Podcast, brought to you by He Shall Save Media. For more information on He Shall Save Media, visit heshallsave.com. Links to our social media accounts are at the bottom of the page. Make sure to like and subscribe for the latest content. Today I'm joined by Pastor Tim McCool and we discuss life's four big decisions. Won't waste any more time. We'll jump into my conversation with him now. All right, I'm joined by Pastor Tim McCool. Uh, Brother Tim is a good friend of mine. He's the pastor of the Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church in Ecola, Alabama. And each week he directs a weekly radio show, the March Design Broadcast. I know you can find those uh, sermons and more information about Bethlehem Church at BethlehemPBC.org. But first of all, Brother Tim, thanks for, for joining me today. Appreciate it, Brother Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Today, I'd ask Brother Tim to, to join us to talk about life's four big decisions. And I think it's really true that your life is made up of thousands or millions of small decisions. What are you going to eat today? What are you going to wear today? What time are you going to wake up? But there are some big decisions that really shape your life. And I've heard Brother Tim talk on this before. So let's just go through, Brother Tim, what are those four big decisions that you've talked about that we make in our lives that really shape the direction that we go? Well, I've kind of narrowed it down to about four big decisions, and this is just me. There could be other decisions, little derivative ones that um, come off of this, but where to worship, where to work, where to live, and who to marry, those are definitely four major, major decisions that affect a child of God's life. Right. So not in that particular order. I know when we were talking about this earlier, you, you said that don't have to be in that particular order, but what would you say is the most important of those four? Is it where you worship, where you live, where you work, where you marry? Or are they all the same? It's hard to say, you know, being in the field of law and recommending different things to different people, I often face them asking me, you know, which of these things are more important. And it's hard to say because they all have significance. I will say this, that obviously who to marry is an optional thing uh, on that list because every person, every child of God does not have to marry and some choose not to. And uh, as you read in the book of uh, Corinthians, you know that it that's something that can be advantageous for a child of God if they choose to be content not marrying. Uh, but aside from the optional who to marry one uh, decision there, uh, I would say that where to worship is the most important of all of those decisions, even above where to work, where to live, or who to marry. Because if you get the where to worship part of it right, a lot of the rest of it flows uh, from the center of your life, which is focused on the worship of the Lord. Right. So when you talk about where to worship, and I know uh, my wife and I have had that conversation before where maybe job opportunities or, or whatever would come up, and we don't even think about leaving because now we're settled in, you know, where we worship and we, something that is very important to us and something that we don't want to leave. But I would say that just, and this is not judgmental, but looking at our society, that that's probably not of the, where you live, where you work, where you, who you marry and where to worship probably as a whole, would you say our society doesn't think about where they worship or that's kind of a, a secondary or tertiary thing that people look for uh, in this life. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Um, this day and time where we are so focused on entertainment, not just in the area of worship, but in the area of whether it's Hollywood or, you know, your iPhone, your iPad. I mean, we're constantly being bombarded with images, and these images are entertaining us. It is no different in the general mindset of the religious world because I've, I've heard it put this way that, most people are looking for a place to serve God where they can be entertained, but it's really the opposite that is true. We are actually providing the entertainment for God when we go to worship, and that's a totally different viewpoint of worship. And I think ironic that, and, and you have made the point well, that of those four decisions, I would think in general, religious society today would put worship you know, at the bottom, I put it at the top because of the effect that the kingdom of God, the church of God, was intended to have on an enemy on a community. Right. So you think about even the foundation of this nation would be people who were worried about where to worship and how to worship. So when someone, let's say someone's listening to this and they say, okay, I want to make you know, 2021's coming up or we're into the new year and I want to, I want to look at some of the big decisions in my life, which I, I personally do. Some people don't like new year's resolutions and resetting and, and, and making a big deal out of a new year. But to me, so recently this, uh, a friend of mine asked me to start kind of this diet plan with him on January. It's kind of like a 75 day challenge. And so I said, well, all right, I'll do it. When are we starting? And he said, January 2nd. Well, to me, to me, you start on January 1st, right? <laughs> um, but so let's say someone's listening and they say, all right, I, I haven't made the best decisions. I want to get my life on track. I need to start worshiping. What, what should someone look for in worship? You talked about just a moment ago, the entertainment and, and how we're so amused and entertained in our society. And, and you hear so many people say, well, I, I go to this church because of, they have the great music or I go to this church because they have a great children's program and, and, you know, I like music and, and I think we need to educate our children and all those things, but what should someone look for in where they go to worship? Well, that's a million dollar question. And of course I would preface my response first by saying, you know, there's, there's many people that are satisfied with the way that they worship and they think, you know, this is the way that I need to do it. And of course, you know, I would never, presume to go around pointing the finger and saying you're wrong, you know, you're out of order and so forth. Uh, what I would do though, is I would point to the scripture. I would point a person to the word of God and do a study on worship in the scripture. And just even all the way back to the garden of Eden, when man walked in fellowship in, in a constant state of worship, if you will, you know, with God and then, you know, sin, the sin of man, the sin of Adam, you know, causing that to be lost. And then if you do just a general worship study of, of how man reconnects with God, how God designs for man to reconnect with God, you know, I could come up with a hundred different ways that I think I can connect with God. And when I say connect, I'm using that as the basis for worship. Because uh, that's what we're trying to do when we worship God. We want to connect with God. We want to have a relevance with God as we come before him. And so if you look throughout the scripture, and I don't mean read the whole Bible through, and that's a good thing to do, but 
if you if you focus on the times of when man is seeking to connect with God, you will find God is very specific about how you're going to be able to connect with him. Of course, in the Old Testament, you have God in the days of Moses. After many years had passed by from the Garden of Eden, God gives a very instructive way in which the people of Israel were to connect with him. And it had everything to do with worship. If they got the worship of God right, then the other things of their life would fall into place. If they didn't do the worship of God right, well, then other things in their life kind of fell apart and they drifted and the Lord was not pleased. And there were some severe consequences for that in the Old Testament. You know, this is a very general, general overview of worship in the scripture. But if you think about from the Garden of Eden, when that type of one-on-one -on -one interaction was lost, and then you come to the, to the foot of Mount Sinai where the Lord comes down and thunders and, and there's lightning and you can't approach the mount and so forth, you know, that was a very stark contrast to the way that man initially connected with God. Now, even Moses said, I exceedingly fear and tremble before this mighty God who is coming down to connect with a nation. And then, of course, you go on through the Old Testament where the people of Israel were on again, off again, mostly off again in their worship and in their obedience to God. And then Jesus comes. And it's so much simpler whenever Jesus comes because he opened up the way for worship. He made it so easy to access God and connect with God. But once again, it is on his terms. It is on Jesus's terms. Very, very different from the days of the law being given and the worship form of the Levitical, uh, you know, Old Testament Mosaic law. In the days of Jesus, you know, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, you know, to every jot and every tittle. And then we read in Hebrews how the Apostle Paul says, we are not come to worship to the, the mountain that quaked and trembled and, and Moses was afraid. We're not come to that. We are come to Jesus, who is the new and living way, and he smiles upon us rather than feeling like we can approach to God because of his blood, his sacrifice. And so the whole focus of worship just in that very simple little description, the whole focus is Jesus Christ because he is our connection, if you will, to God. He is our mediator. He is our access. And so when you put all that together and you study that and the person who is hungry and, and feels that need to connect with God, you just want to bring yourself into line with the, what God's word says about how we do connect with him. And, and again, it's, I'm not saying that God did not connect with any person outside of the nation of Israel because we see that there were often times that he did connect with non-Israelites. You, you see the example of Rahab. You see the example of Naaman the Syrian. Uh, you see the example of the widow of Zarepta. But as the old preacher said, you know, he was not in the habit of doing that way, but he, he did do it reach out in other ways, but his primary way was through the design for connecting with him through the Mosaic law. And then in the days of Jesus, his primary way is connecting with him through the simplicity. The law was so complicated 
But the New Testament, the new and living way, Christ is so simple. I'm so glad, and I've said this often, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I'm so glad that I didn't have to come up as an Israelite and try to comply with all of those those laws. I would have been a terrible Jew. I would have uh, probably broken the law in, in so many ways. And I'm so thankful that we live in a day where we can approach the Lord. But again, we must remember that the purpose of worship is entertaining the Lord. And when I say entertaining the Lord, he's watching us. He's seeing how we come before him. And we can see through the scripture, there's many times when the Lord said, he said, look, you know, you're bringing these sacrifices to me. You're coming before me in your way, on your terms. And he said, I'm not going to have it. Uh, and so that that's something that we ought to be conscious about because many people today say, well, you just worship the Lord any way that you please as long as you're sincere and so forth. That just doesn't bear out in the scripture. And again, I'm not condemning anybody or saying, pointing a finger at them or anything like that. But if a person has a desire to want to worship God, then the, the plan, the pattern can be found in scripture and it can be found through study. It's just a question of whether or not the person is sincerely desiring that. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. And when you're talking about such a big decision, it would be something that you would want to seek out diligently to, to figure out how, you know, who you're going to worship, first of all, how you're going to worship and then where you would worship. Uh, my daughter and I uh, talk a lot about being a, a wise William or a foolish Fred. And we get that from, from Matthew seven, where it's like, you know, the wise William built his house on a rock. Uh, foolish Fred built his house on the sand. And it sounds mm-hmm. like this where to worship, who to worship, how to worship is the foundational decision that all these other decisions flow from. It does. It uh, does. So, is there anything else you want to say about uh, where to worship or how to worship before we move on to these other three? Yeah, I would say that if, if there's someone listening to the podcast and their and their interest is piqued about you know worship, uh, there's so much that could be said. But obviously, a study on the worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament is very, very beneficial, and it's very eye-opening to see how simple it was and how they just did things, you know, so. It was so easy and it flowed so well and the Lord was pleased. But I would say this, if you need further uh, digging into what it means to worship for, for worship in the New Testament, I would look to Acts, the second chapter, and where it says in verse 42 that this is the early church, this is the first church, that they continued steadfastly in four things. And your worship centers around when, when you desire to worship the Lord, like he, he tells us to in the New Testament, it's going to center around four simple things, and that's the apostles' doctrine. So that means you have to know what the apostles and Jesus taught. Uh, it also centers around fellowship, which is the next thing that's given there in Acts 2 and 42. And it, it revolves around the breaking of bread, which I know primarily applies to communion, but it also applies to going to lunch, sitting down and talking with people around the dinner table, and in prayers. So if, if you want to know the simple structure around which worship circles in the New Testament, it's going to be around those four things. If somebody is just not even concerned about doctrine or teaching that Jesus gave, or if they say, well, you can just have any doctrine you want, we just want to get a feeling, well, that's going to lead to a non-instructive, empty worship that's not going to honor God because it's just a feeling. But if you focus on what the apostles' teaching was and the interaction that the people of God had in the early church and eating together, 
sharing communion together and praying individually and together. But if you notice, most of those things there are done together. And I really think that this flies in the face of the modern ideas about what worship is, where you're just sort of an individual going into church and you really don't interact with anyone. You maybe don't even know who the person sitting next to you is. Maybe you don't even know their name uh, and you don't know where they live. You don't know how to interact with them. That in and of itself is not New Testament worship because New Testament worship involved community. It involved having an impact in the community. And there's two, th two more things I would say about that, Brother Josh. Number one, we live in America, and it is a fiercely individualistic society. And I mean that we are just filled with sort of the John Wayne mentality, if that's too old of a reference, where we're all just individualistic and we need to you know, be our own man, our own woman, our own uh, young person or, or child even. And, and we try to you know, set ourselves apart in that way. And that kind of flies in the face of the togetherness. Doesn't mean that you don't have individual characteristics and use those for the glory of God. But that individualism, fierce individualism, flies in the face of coming together as a body. And, you know, that's just one of the things that you got to be aware of in the culture that we're living in today. Right. So at the very beginning of, of Scripture, we'd see that it's not it's not good for man to be alone. And that's not just right. to not be married, but we need each other. Um, that's right. I've said the, the devil's a roaring lion. And if you watch those discovery videos or whatever, where they maybe the lion's going to attack the gazelle or whatever it may be, they don't get the one in the pack. They always right. go for the one that's drifted away from the pack. So, man, we need the church. Right. I love right. what you said about Acts 2.42. Um I read an article years ago about creating a mission statement for your church and, you know, businesses have mission statements and, and that's, that's not an awful thing, but I thought, man, we have a mission statement, Acts 2.42, we exist to continue steadfastly in these four things. And if we can mm -hmm. do that, um, you're, you're going to have a good church. So yes, let's say someone finds out they, they've, you've determined where to worship and all those, these other things flow from that. So where to live is Obviously, you want to live somewhere where you can be together and worship together in the way that, that you you find in Scripture. But what what advice would you give to someone who's trying to determine where they are to live? Maybe they've graduated from college or they've left the house or they're, um, maybe 2020 has, has uh, um, they've lost their job or whatever it is. They're making big transitions in their life. You find a place to worship, how to worship. Now you're trying to figure out where to live. Any advice that you would give to somebody when they look to where to live? Well, and I think it ties into where to worship. If you find where the Lord would would want you to worship, that living is going to take care of itself. I will say this. I've been blessed in 20-plus years of ministry to see some major moves by children of God who were burdened to worship the Lord, and they felt like they needed to be in a certain location to do that. They felt compelled by the direction of the Spirit of God and by the Word of God to, say, for example, be in the West Alabama area or the Birmingham area, or, you know, they just felt a burden to be there. And so, thankfully, I have seen how that plays out when somebody lays down the location, maybe that they prefer, maybe they think, well, I want to live here, I want to live there. And yet they follow the leading of the Spirit of the Lord and go where the Lord would have them and it, and it usually, in my experience, and, and the examples that I'm referencing, it had to do with where the person felt burdened to worship, and they would move to that area. 
and position themselves so they could see and hear and enjoy uh, worship, you know, where they felt like they needed to be. Uh, l- let me back up and, and just say this, which I probably should have said at the beginning, but the, the place that I got this from, this list from, where to worship, where to work, where to live, and who to marry, uh, comes from the book of Genesis and, and the terrible, sad, and tragic example of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. That's where I got this thought process about these major, major decisions that we have in life. And if you'll notice, if you read the account of Lot, and it kind of begins, his bad decision-making, it kind of begins in Genesis 13 and, and concludes on down in Genesis 19, he failed in every decision that he made. So I'm one of those that sometimes it's best to look at the negative and say, okay, this is what it doesn't look like. It can look a lot of different ways, you know, coming from this direction or that direction on making those decisions. It, it doesn't have to be boilerplate for every person, but I can tell you what it uh, does not look like, and it does not look like the sad and foolish decisions that the child of God uh, known as Lot made over there in the Old Testament. So I say that just kind of as a background. I probably should have said that to begin with. It's really telling to look at the decisions that Lot made and see how he failed in each one of those. And if if it's all right, I'd, I'll, the first decision that I would say that he failed in, it was where to live and where to work. That's from Genesis 13. Here you find uh, Abraham and Lot, you know, they've had an issue because of the cattle that Abraham has and the cattle and the workers that Lot has. And they got those from Egypt, by the way. That's a place God never intended for them to go. But nonetheless, you know, they have problems among themselves because their workers are fighting over the grazing and watering of so much cattle. And so that's where Abraham, in the very famous and well-known scenario, he says to Lot, you know, if, if you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose to the left, I'll go to the right. He says, we're brothers. We don't need to fuss. We don't need to argue. And so Lot, it says in Genesis 19, that uh, he chose poorly because he chose the well-watered plains of Sodom. He chose to go with his natural eyesight. He didn't consult about where he needed to worship uh, or who he needed to hang out with. You know, as a side note, he was with the friend of God. And I've said this many times. If, if you have friends of God, and, and maybe that I'm not talking about everybody was like Abraham because God appeared directly to Abraham. But we all have the faith just like Abraham had. You know, we don't have Abraham wasn't some superhero that had any greater faith than anyone else. We had he had the same measure of faith that we do. But I can't imagine walking away from the friend of God and saying, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to leave. See, Lot failed really in, in where to worship because he left the friend of God and he sought out a different job eventually in a different location to live. So I know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like what Lot did. It doesn't look like going away from safe places where you're dealing with non-dramatic people who are seeking to serve God like Abraham was a friend of God. I hope that makes sense. It does absolutely make sense. That's one of the saddest verses in Scripture to me right after Abraham tells him, you know, you go this way and I'll go that way or, vice versa. And it says he lifted up his eyes Yep. and there's no prayer. There's nothing. He lifts up his eyes and he's, he's mesmerized by the, the well-watered plains, but he had to know what was going on over there. And, and, you know, he'd probably heard and, uh, but it, it, he, he, 
he made his bed among wicked sinners is what the Bible would say. And, um, yeah, what a, what a sad story, you know? Um, yeah, there's an interesting when the, and I don't have it in front of it when the, when the two angels come and lot goes out, you know, the, the people have compassed his house and lot goes yeah. out, man, the, the people of Sodom, whom apparently lot had some influence with, because we see, we see him sitting at the gates when the two angels come, um, right. they turn on him so quickly. Yep. And that's, you know, that is just, I think, a picture of when we make these bad decisions and decide we're not going to live among God's people that are trying to worship God in spirit and truth. We're going to whatever it may be. Maybe it's in a career you're going to. And there's nothing wrong with having a successful career, but maybe you're going to try to climb that ladder, whatever it takes, whatever it is that we're not, uh, you know, if we're being foolish, Fred, and we're not building our house on that foundation, the world will turn on you quickly. And right. If you're listening today and you haven't read through that Genesis account of Lot, um, just we know he's a righteous man. Peter tells us that, but he's a righteous man who ruined his life here on earth uh, by the decisions right. that he made. That's what about right. uh, what about where to work and, and who to marry? Because I think those are two things that obviously they could affect anyone at any age. But people that are coming out of school, they're coming out of college, and they're they're getting ready to try to find, or maybe maybe they're going into college. What should I do? You know, that, that may be the million dollar question, you know, right. what, what, what are you going to do? But I know you can't tell them, you can't go to, to Genesis chapter two and says, Josh, you need to do this. But what are some of the frameworks that you would give advice to people who are trying to figure out what it is they're supposed to study, where they're supposed to work? Uh, what would be your advice to them? Sure. And one more comment. You make a great point about them turning on lot there in Sodom. And I think that is a direct commentary and, and correlation to what we see today in our society. How quickly do our people turned against just for coming out in favor of spiritual things, biblical things? You know, it might be uh, the biblical model, which is the only model of marriage, or it might be teaching about this particular sin or that particular sin, and all of a sudden you are turned on. And that's what happened with Lot. You know, he he says, don't do this wickedness. And they turned on him and said, you know, who are you to judge me? Basically is what they said. Yeah, he was a victim of cancel culture. Yes. He, he, this was the original cancel culture. They were canceling Lot because he was actually in a, in a kind of a feeble way. He was sort of taking a stand against them. And so that's the same thing that we're facing today. And, and those that are listening out there, I, I assure you, I affirm to you, that if you seek the Lord's will and where to worship, work, live, and marry, you will face such opposition. And I say that unashamedly. In our society, I believe, and we've had such comforts for so long and free from persecution, I think we have totally lost sight of the fact that the Christian's walk in this world is a walk of suffering normally just because the last decades or 100 or so years have been so good and free from persecution here in America, you know, that is something that we should be more than willing to bear because it cannot compare to the suffering that our Lord went through. And it, it is something that we should see the Lord is worthy of anything that we have to deal with. And furthermore, in our society, you're not going at this point, at least you're not going to face severe, you just might get canceled. Well, you know, big deal if they do cancel you because you are standing up for the Lord. I mean, the Lord was canceled time and time again. Uh, but to your question, Brother Josh, uh, you know, it's such a, all of these things interconnect. So, you know, you could, you could, 
figure out where to work and then lo and behold the lord opens the door to find a place to worship or where to live or you can find a place to worship and then the work opens up and the next thing you know you maybe are encountering a possibility of a spouse or so forth uh you know it's hard to say any boilerplate model but in terms of young people seeking what to do in these decisions if they're even interested in it at all i hope that they are I would say the worst thing that you could do, the absolute worst thing would be like light to just look with your natural eyes. You know, what is the highest salary that I can make? Well, it might be in a place where there is no adequate place to worship. It might be in a place that's so corrupt and wicked like Sodom was in the days of light. That is the worst thing that you can do. Now, listen, it does not mean that you can't factor those things in. Obviously, you know, you would want to make sure that if you're graduated with a degree and you want to do well, you want to make a good salary and so forth. But that's not the primary thing to look for. Now, I know whereof I speak because in my own life, I have gone after things just by looking at the natural side of it and think this is going to be great. And then after time goes by, it comes back and it bites you and it hurts. Uh, God's mercy and God's grace can certainly overcome you know, bad decisions that we make. I've been a testimony to that myself. But, you know, it's like the book of Proverbs is given so that the young person can see in advance the result of what this particular decision or that particular decision will lead to. Uh, sadly, I, I think we don't hearken to the book of Proverbs like we should. Uh, but going back to the example of Lot, he, you know, he failed in where to live and where to work. He lost everything he had. And then you find him uh, when Abraham has to rescue him in a terrible, tumultuous political time well, when he was actually taken as a prisoner of war. Uh, and you find Lot standing by there. I know that he was standing by and seeing what was going on when in Genesis, I believe it's the 14th chapter, that Melchizedek, the, the high priest of God, comes and visits Abraham. And can you imagine sitting there and witnessing that and seeing that? which is a high point, a high water mark of the Old Testament, and very well could be a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ himself. It, there, I know that's debatable, and different people have different opinions on Melchizedek. Uh, we know that um, he was something special. <laughs> I'll just say that. And, and to have that high water mark encounter and see that firsthand and then make the decision to go back to that pitiful place that brought him nothing but misery. And I was just thinking about this this morning before you called. It sounds like in Genesis 14 that Lot had not yet chosen a wife. It doesn't mention anything about a wife or children. It just says that Abraham got back Lot and his goods. It doesn't say anything about his wife or his children. So just assuming that he didn't have a wife or children at that point, there he is witnessing one of the high watermark encounters of the Old Testament in the form of Melchizedek coming before the high priest of God who came from Jerusalem, came from Salem, eventually known as Jerusalem. And he goes back to Sodom and apparently, assuming he wasn't married, he goes on and makes the final bad decision of choosing a wife from among the Sodomites. And then uh, he goes on and has children. And of course, those children are warped in their sense of reality because of the horrific criminal and evil, uh, terrible cultural things that they encountered and saw and witnessed on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we think the, the iPhone 
can be bad. You know, the, the thing you hold in your hand, whether it's iPhone or Android, whatever, you know, and you got terrible images that you can call up on that. If somebody succumbs to that kind of temptation, I pray to God that they don't. But in Sodom, they didn't have an iPhone. They didn't have an Android. They didn't have those things. They had those, the reality of those things going on in the alleys and the streets and in the different places. You see, they actually saw firsthand people going through those things and doing such horrible things. And it was more than just you know, the sin of homosexuality. It was violence. They were a violent society. There was child abuse. There was all types of terrible things going on. And so the sad reality of that is Lot, he fails at every turn. And then he even goes back, it looks like, after the encounter with Melchizedek and eventually has a wife, has children, you know, 15, 20 years goes by. Those children are grow up, the girls grow up old enough to be uh, apparently engaged to uh, some young men who were there and also living in Sodom. And of course, as they say, you know, the rest is history uh, and the terrible situation that Lot winds up in. I say to the young person, why do you want to wind up 20 years down the road like Lot? You know, why not look on the front end and look into these things, where to worship, where to work, where to live, who to marry, I mean, that would be much more uh, beneficial to you in the long run to, to see that. And also, most importantly, it's more honoring to God. Absolutely. And, and I think if I could give a warning, something that, that I see and witness is, and I'm sure it's not just our society, but a lot of times we worship work and we and we play at worship in America. Uh, we, we go through the, the motions of at worship, but we're so devoted to our jobs. And look, we should work hard. And, and for the Christian, you should be a hardworking person. You should be someone your boss yep. can count on, your person can count on. But there is a danger in becoming a workaholic, what people would call it. I mean, I know people that work all day long, and I don't know how they do it, to be quite honest with you. So I think as you're determining what it is you're, you're supposed to do uh, in this life, just watch out for the pitfalls that, that you can become addicted to work and, and your family suffers and your church suffers and your community suffers. So that would just be uh, some, some additional advice that I would give there. Uh, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that you should be conscious of on the front end because it's so hard to fix it on the back end. And to, just to be honest with you, uh, you know, light, there was no fix on the back end for him. We, we read about him at the end of his life or the last time we read about him. He's in a cave and he's committed incest with his daughters and he's drunk. And that's the last time you read about him in the Old Testament, aside from the descendants of those daughters, the Moabites and another um, nation, you know, being a constant vexation to the people of Israel. You know, you read about Lot in the New Testament where we find out miraculously and amazingly, you know, he was a child of God. He, he was... Uh, one that was an heir of the covenant of grace, but he lived like the devil. He lived like you couldn't even hardly see any evidence that he was a child of God. And who wants to end their life or come to the end of their life in such a horrible, depressed, horrific way? There was just no recovery from what happened to Lot. And sadly, for many of God's children, and failing in one or more, sadly, Lot failed in all of them, but in failing in these decisions, you know, you can get into a spot where there's no recovery. Uh, and that's only by the grace of God could the Lord intervene and, and do some things to help someone. But so much better to get it on the front end. 
Absolutely. Um, lots of, he's a, he's a great testimony to the grace of God, the, the huge grace of God, but a sober warning yeah. to us. I was reminded when you were saying that of, of Peter's words on the day of Pentecost, when he says, save yourself from this untoward yeah. generation, this crooked generation. You know, you hear about right. the things that are going on in Sodom and the things that we have access to, as you mentioned on our iPhone, it, it's nothing new. It, this all, this has been going on since the fall, right? There's been murder yeah. and wickedness. Uh, but there is the promise to the disciple of Christ that if you if if you will take it serious where you're going to worship, we'll flow from that, make decisions about where you're going to live. And there's going to take sacrifice in that. Where are you going to work? It's going to be sacrifice. You take serious who you're going to marry. And, right. and by the way, you said worship may be the most important. I don't know. Who you marry is so important. I told a, a brother the other day that was talking to me about, and he was, he was dating someone, and, and I said, well, you could be the CEO of Apple or you can make minimum wage. And if you marry a, a humble God honoring lady, or if it's for the ladies, a, a, a humble God honoring man, and you're making minimum wage and you're the CEO of, of Apple or Walmart, and you've married a hateful person, I can tell you which person's going to be happier. Amen. Um, that's a huge decision as well. And and I think all those flow through, uh, you know, find somebody that's going to worship with you, <laughs> find somebody that wants mm-hmm. to live with you and, and make a life with you uh, and work with you. Um, but, but in the midst of this crooked generation, we can save ourselves. We can deliver ourselves by following God, uh, of course, with his help. Uh, so any closing thoughts that you want to give in that, as we talk about uh, this society in which we live, um, making these decisions, any closing thoughts that you have? Sure. Um, the closing thoughts I would have would be just, to study the scripture on these issues, study the examples of God providentially blessing men and women to find spouses, to find places to work that honor him, to find places to live that are in that honor him, uh, the, the place to worship that honors him. It's there. That information is there. One of the things um, that I, I wanted to comment on, that you were talking about earlier when we first started was, uh, is asking God, you know, Lord, you know, how do you get to that? How do you get to know where the proper place to worship work, who to marry, where to live? Well, you need to ask God. And when you ask God, first of all, you don't need to be afraid to ask, you know, the apostles were afraid to ask Jesus about certain things. It says that in the book of Mark that Jesus would talk about his uh, coming passion, his coming crucifixion, his coming torture and eventual resurrection, it says they were afraid to ask him. So we, we don't need to be afraid to ask the Lord, Lord, where would you have me to work, live, worship, and who to marry? That's a sobering question when you ask that, when you lay that before the Lord and you mean it sincerely, but be prepared for the answer because as I have seen in multiple circumstances and from the scripture, you know, the answer that the Lord gives is not always what you think it should be or what you're looking for. Uh, the Lord, if, if you let the Lord direct you in these amazing, important decisions, it will lead to glorious things. Whereas if you just direct yourself, you'll never see, you'll never experience. Think about the things that Lot missed. He missed worshiping with the friend of God. He missed discussing with Abraham and fellowshipping with him on the doctrine that they believed. He missed 
eating bread, eating meals with Abraham. He could have been sitting there the day that God came to visit Abraham and had a meal with Abraham, and yet where was he? He's down in Sodom being vexed on a daily basis with the filthy sin and, and conversations, lifestyle of the wicked all around him. So I would just say, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, where would you have me to worship? Where would you have me to live and to work? And who would you have me to marry if that's an option for someone and they're looking for a spouse? Those would be my closing thoughts is just don't be afraid to ask, but be prepared for the answer that the Lord may bring to you. Well, Brother Tim, I appreciate you joining it. I'll um, say it publicly here that, that I I love you and I appreciate you. And you've been, a, I guess, for over 15 years now, you've been a part of my life and I'm certainly a, a friend and a mentor and all sorts of things. So I appreciate you joining and talking through this. We pray that God will, will use it to his glory and that he'll help um, he'll help us out along the way. Um, Love you too, Brother Josh. I appreciate you including me in this, and if it's anything good comes out of it, all glory to the Lord. And I just pray the Lord will bless you in, in doing this. Do you listen to Grace Alone Radio Network? Grace Alone Radio streams the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock, and around the world. Each day on Grace Alone Radio, you will hear Bible teaching from primitive Baptist ministers, encouraging a cappella hymns, and edifying passages from the King James Bible. Discover how you might access our programming at gracealoneradio.net. You'll be glad you did.